You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? This What's is your boy, <laughs> Nathan. It's your boy, <laughs> and I've got with me uh, one of my dear priest friends today, Father Sean. Father, how you doing? Doing well. It's a great day. Great, yeah. Uh, yeah, Christmas season is coming to a close. We got Epiphany Sunday tonight, tomorrow. That's right, because we don't do Epiphany Thursday here in in uh, the U. Or I think like it's, Omaha does it. It's oh, like really? three dioceses do it, and, but it's bishop chosen. It's actually USCCB chosen, and then there's like three dioceses that have altered that. But Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. Well, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to to talk with you. I know you're a big fan of the intro specifically to the podcast. That's right. That's right. Every, <laughs> Since I hear that every time I speak to you. That's see. right. At church, at mass, everywhere. Yep. You know, what's going on? It's your boy, Nathan Crankfield. <laughs> Oh, great. Well, I'd love to start with just kind of an overview of your life. Who are you? Where you're from? How you uh, became a priest of Jesus Christ? Great. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you. I love seeking excellence. So I love it. I must say. Um, Yeah, I'm from, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, uh, South Denver, Littleton area. Um, So not too far from where we are now in your studio. Yeah. Um, little, Little soon to be nursery. Soon, soon to be nursery. That's right. Yeah, we got to get you an office. We got to talk yes. about that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I grew up here, uh, raised Catholic, but uh, not you know a super Catholic family, not super strong Catholic family, and uh, went to a Protestant school for eight years, and and really fell in love with the faith, um, at least the the Bible and um, like belief in God there. Uh, my favorite class was always Bible class and, uh, it was fun. It was great. I had some really good professors and teachers. I learned about scripture very deeply. Um, you know, and then middle school came, had some struggles in middle school, like most people do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then high school, I went to a Catholic high school, local here, Mullen high school, and really began to have a conversion, um, over the four years of high school. I think part of it was, uh, receiving good Catholic, um, theology at that catholic school but then also uh my home parish saint francis cabrini in littleton had a huge impact on me they have a mm-hmm. great youth group and it was specifically the youth minister there steve who really invested in me uh a relationship right i'm convinced that relationships are what convert people not 
facts about the faith or um, apologetics. Those are all important. But really, what's con- what converts people is relationships. And he uh, he had he challenged me a lot. He would um, I would ditch class and we would get lunch together, um, <laughs> which I got in trouble for once. But that's a different story. <laughs> and um, yeah, he invested in me, listened to me, and uh, began to have this this powerful conversion. And then um, you know it was specifically a, a moment in the Eucharist, a moment in Eucharistic adoration where I really felt the Lord's love for the first time in a really profound and powerful way. And, um, yeah, maybe to, to, bre- uh, to speak briefly about that, just coming out of middle school, you know, it was like uh, middle school's hard. And so when I got to high school, I desired one thing and that was popularity. I wanted to be popular. And so I really quickly got mixed up in the wrong crowd. And then, um, when I went on this retreat through, uh, confirmation through Cabrini, um, just began to weep and say, you know, Lord, I'm doing everything the world's telling me to do to be happy. And I'm miserable. I'm not happy at all. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, just through the tears and through the surrender, I very clearly hear the Lord say, uh, say to me, Sean, I love you. Come follow me. I love you. Come follow me. And that was really the moment where I didn't want to live for myself anymore. Didn't want to live for what the world was offering. I knew there was something greater and not that it was a easy change after that. It was still very difficult, but kept uh trying striving and um would try to go to mass more try to uh, pray more and then um through a series of of different things that happened my junior and senior year of high school i i began to feel the call towards the priesthood uh which terrified me i did not want to be a priest i thought most priests were uh boring and i don't know lonely and whatnot and uh there was a few priests at saint francis carini that i met that were just really awesome and young and then uh, I encountered the companions of Christ when I was there as well. And this, everything started to click of like, Oh, priests, priests can be normal. Priests can be happy. Priests can be young, you know, et cetera. And in community and live in community. Yeah. Exactly. You're not, you're not just isolated on your own. Um, so then after my senior year of high school, I <clears throat> applied and entered seminary. And then nine years later got ordained. So I got ordained a priest, uh, May 15th, 2021. So almost two years ago now. Yeah. And, um, it's been great, right? I'm in my first assignment at Our Lady of Lords in St. Louis here in Denver, uh, where I see the Crankfields, uh, <laughs> Nathan right. and Emily, and soon to be Baby Crankfield. So yeah, let's go, Baby Crank. One of my favorite things, and I've told you this before, mm. I think, and I I forget who I was just talking to. I met a really young priest at Seek, mm. and I, I was like, yeah, I just you know became friends with the priest. It's my first priest friend who's younger than I. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's right, and that's you. Yeah. Which I think, what are we, we're like a year and a half apart or something like that. You're 27 or 28. 28, yeah. 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 So that's really fun. But awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing all that. I think it's I think it's great. Uh, awesome story. And, you know, speaking of Seek, so something that I've been thinking about, I often, I, I don't know if pessimistic is the right word to use, mm. <laughs> but I oftentimes dwell and think on just ways I think we could be better in evangelization, ways that I think the church can improve in our efforts to reach both, uh, you know, fallen away Catholics and people who have not ever encountered uh, the church, maybe, or encountered Christ in general. Mm. And so I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, and one of the things that I was reflecting on at like midnight last night when I was laying awake in bed was I was talking, I was just kind of reflecting on how I feel like there's a lot of things um, and a lot of effort and a lot of attention that goes into really affirming people's kind of uh, value 
or telling people that they're loved and that they're good, which I think is really, really important. Mm. Where I think the church uh, fails to go beyond that sometimes is uh, in that truly like building and sending, right? So you think about like the wind build send model of focus. Mm-hmm. I just, I have often felt like there's just an oversaturation of wind stuff. Yeah. And then I think you get kind of lightly into the building and then you don't really have much beyond that. And so I was kind of, I, w- I literally got out of bed and like wrote for like an hour last night. Awesome. And I was reflecting on like what I, what I hope to do with Seeking Excellence and with all of my ministry in my life is to not just tell people about their, their worth and their value, which I think is good and true, but also talk to people about, about their potential, mm. you know, and thinking about, obviously that's a good starting point, but then like, what's beyond that? Like I obviously asked after you understand that, which is profound and deep and all of us struggle with accepting that truly in our mm. own way. But I think that understanding that there's still so much more that you can become that God wants to do with you, you know, and transform you. Um, I think that's really, really important. Do you find that, uh, do you think I'm being, am I being pessimistic and too overly critiquing in the church when I, when it comes to that? Or what do you think about that? That's a great question. And no, I love the thoughts. I think this is win, build, send, I think is a great, great, great model. I think, uh, one of the challenges in the church right now, just in general, is uh, you're right. We do a lot of win events and maybe even build events, but uh, we don't send people out to bring people in. You know, you have to be sent, um, and we don't do a good job of that right now. I think as 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 the church at large, uh, but it's hard because um, Lords, for instance, I think this is a good example. Lords is a great parish; it's thriving in many ways. But one of the challenges at Lords, right, and in, in a lot of these parishes is uh, if it's artificial growth, mm. meaning you get a dynamic pastor, you get dynamic priests, you get good musicians, et cetera. It's, it feels like everything's going super well, but we're not evangelizing. It's a redistribution of Catholics, right? So it's a dynamic priest that people drive 30, 45 minutes to come and hear uh, and, and not just hear him. I don't want to make it sound like people just follow priests, but they want to go to a dynamic church. That's both the pastor. That's both music. That's, uh, that's, uh, the, the, um, how on fire people are. Do people wear bron- the lectors, the lectors, Nathan Crankfield, the one and only <laughs> it's your boy. Uh, do people wear Broncos jerseys to mass or they, they dress up, do they wear something right. nice, you know, and, and all that goes into it. And I think if you're a parent, you want to surround your children with uh, like-minded people and with people who, when you encounter at church, they also are living the faith radically. Dynamic parishes are going to be like that. They're going to become magnet parishes, but it's artificial growth because it's not true evangelization. It's a redistribution of Catholics. And then you, that magnet parish, the priest moves and uh, where those people go? Do you still have a, a magnet community, um, et cetera? So I, I don't want to go into too many details there, but I think um, I think you you see what I'm getting at. So I think a lot of these events are important, the winning. Uh, but how do we build people up so that we can send them out? Yeah. So that we can go and evangelize. And uh, one one comment on that would be like, this is why win events are so important. Um, doing things that can allow um non-christians to come as well or even non-catholics and so like one of the mm-hmm. things we do at lords we have this beautiful grotto right um that's outdoors and beautiful summer evenings in colorado where we have gathering at the grottos where we have it be a very kind of light environment and sure the the talks that are there are going to be a little bit they're, they're going to be catholic no question about it but one of the goals of that is to invite people who uh would be intimidated by mass you mm-hmm. know to, to invite a non-catholic to mass 
uh, is very intimidating. I don't know when to sit. I don't know when to stand. I don't, you know, right, yeah. I don't know the responses. And then why do I have to cross myself when, you know, all these different things. Yeah. Whereas if you come to like a, a simple talk, like there's a good kind of, I don't know, win event, which you can invite other people. Anyways, those are some of my thoughts. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling now. No, you're but. good. You're here to ramble. Uh, no, I think it's great. And I think that that's like, in my mind, the way I kind of break it down is I think like halfway through the build and into the send is kind of that uh, difference between um, kind of the fundamentals, the basics, and then kind of the higher level, the higher calling, right? Or, or kind of what I was talking about before of like understanding your value and then understanding like the higher level expectations, excellence, right? Like your potential and what you can become. Um, and that's something that I've been really frustrated with the church. I think we do a really poor job of. Mm-hmm. I think I think we often only speak about the minimum. And then I think we've been talking about the minimum for so long and begging people to do the minimum for so long. I, t- I coined the term back when I was doing youth ministry uh, in Fayetteville when I was still in the army. I was like, we're pleading for mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like is the church's approach so often in evangelization. And that's why I think you see people watering down the truth. We're trying to bring the truth and bring things down and kind of compromise with people. Yep. And I think that it's really sad because I think you have a, I don't even think most Catholics, even like most church going Catholics can really tell you like the precepts of the church and like what's actually expected of you. Yep. Um, but they have a little bit of it, right? You're supposed to go to confession sometimes, you know, every now and then maybe like some people will be able to know that it's at least once a year, hear mass on Sundays. Right. But I think that those precepts often because we have so few people doing them that sometimes you can start to do those and you feel like, Oh, I'm good. Like I'm set, Mm -hmm. you know, but I don't think that I almost don't blame people who get that way because we never really do a good job of painting the picture of like, what is excellence? What does a great spiritual life really look like? Um, Except for when we talk about the saints and then you hear about somebody like Padre Pio or Maximilian Colby. And it's like, well, I can't just go do that, right? I can't just like go give my life for someone yeah. in, in Auschwitz. But what for you, like, what, and I'd love to share mine then afterwards with you and kind of see what you think, but what are some things that you would kind of parameters, if you would, if you could give somebody a vision of what kind of like spiritual excellence looks like on even like the individual level? What would be yeah. some of the tenets of that? Yeah, I think uh, I, I do want to just throw out a, a, a caution though, because I think one of the tactics of the enemy is to think, I have to do more and more and more. Yeah, absolutely. But it's God asking us to do that, right? So I do yeah. think there's wisdom, obviously, in saying, no, we have to do the basics. But but I completely agree. We can't just stop there. It's like, okay, right. I get the basics down, but God's still asking you to to, to do more. You know, he's yeah. inviting you. And right, to, to plunge into the spiritual depths, to, to be spiritually excellent. Uh, but we don't want to like, well, so like, for instance, uh, one of the, uh, things that's talked about in seminary, um, is right. We pray a daily holy hour in seminary. And then there's some guys who usually in the first or second year, they start praying two holy hours a day because they think, Oh, if I'm going to be holy, I need to pray two holy hours all of a sudden. And then they start doing that and then they get into like serious desolation and they're like, why am I in desolation? I'm praying two holy hours every day. Like I'm, I'm better than all these guys. <laughs> They're only praying right. one holy hour, you know, and, but, but the Lord didn't invite that person to pray two holy hours. Yeah. Live your schedule, live the seminary schedule. Now lay as a lay person, it's a little different because uh, you're not called to make a daily holy hour, you know, in the same way that a priest is, I think you should strive for silent prayer. Uh, but it might look different from a daily holy hour. Right. Um, so anyways, so just to caveat that, to put some parameters there, but how do then we strive to be spiritually excellent? I think um, maybe just to give one thing, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts. But uh, one of the things that traditions that I think is like very, very lost in the church right now 
is uh, asceticism mm. and uh, fasting, right? And living a certain ascetical life. We had a priest at the seminary who said just very clearly, if you ever leave a meal, or he said it in the reverse way, you should never leave a meal without giving something up during that meal. Mm. And it doesn't have to be big, like you don't pass on the steak or you don't pass on whatever, but maybe as everyone is putting salt on their potatoes, you decide not to put salt. Or maybe as the bread is going around, you take a piece of bread and the butter, maybe I just won't have butter this meal. Mm. Um, someone forgot to fill up my water glass. Okay. Maybe I just don't have water right now. I don't yeah. know. Those, like just like those small things that some sacrifice. Exactly. Uh, but we have to be beings of sacrifice. So I think, I think that's one example of like Fridays. Uh, I've always been a day of fasting, a day of penance in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously specifically during Lent, uh, it used to be that you have to fast from meat, uh, every Friday or abstain from meat every Friday throughout the whole liturgical year. And, uh, the church has relaxed that. But I think, the reminder to say, but we should still be doing some type of penance on Friday uh, is really healthy and really good, right? Yeah. It, it takes our attention off of ourselves to remember, oh yeah, I should be offering sacrifices. This is the day of the crucifixion. So I think penance, asceticism would be, uh, yeah, one example of that. For sure. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's really important. The, the one thing that I try to aim for, and I think there's a lot of kind of... Uh, outside things that go around this, but one, one, my first kind of stumbling upon anything that gave me something higher to aim for was, uh, Matthew Kelly's four signs of a dynamic Catholic. I don't know if you've ever read that. I haven't. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's good. And, and I've encouraged people to read it. I what are the four signs? They are this. Hopefully it'll be a recap for those who listen to the first episode on this, but prayer, study, generosity, and evangelization. Mm. And so he talks about prayer, I think, uh, just as you mentioned, can have a kind of a range, right? So I have a minimum that no matter how busy I am each day, like I have to pray. Uh, you can't, I can't just not pray at all, right? That's right. not an option. Um, but like you said, I'm not going to necessarily pray a holy hour in adoration every single day mm-hmm. as a married man or as a father, you know what I mean, in a full-time job and all that. But it's like, okay, well, what I, I think th- there is, there's always a need for disclaimers in it because I think it's easy to become scrupulous and over-obsessed with it, like the exactly. seminarians you named. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we should never consider it and think of like, what's, what could I stretch for, right? Mm. And as we just passed the new year, you know, and um, are thinking about some of those spiritual goals and Resolutions, things. Resolutions, yeah. Yeah, I think you can start to say, okay, I can at least pray. And one of our goals, me and Emily, is to pray one a holy hour a week together in adoration. That's awesome. One a week, you know what I mean? And that's what I think it can be an, a part of spiritual excellence for me and for us. Um, going things like daily mass, I think are, are some of the things that are beyond those four signs. Another thing I think of with the four signs, obviously fasting is another great example, but one I want to get your thoughts on is, and I've talked about on the podcast before is, uh, dressed for mass, Yeah, you know? And I think all of these things are the way that I view it. My kind of analogy for me is when I was, uh, you know, growing up and playing basketball, I watched all these different NBA players and I kind of thought for me what do I want to be able to do on the basketball court, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be able to shoot threes. I want to be a good rebounder. I want to be able to, you know, execute certain types of passes. Um, I want to learn and be smart of how to move without the ball. I want to be good at defense, decent at post defense, like strong, you know, on guards. Um, I want to be physically fit. I want to be able to dunk. I want to be able to do whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like you almost have to craft and obviously through prayer and working with God to be like, what do you want me to do um, on the spiritual side, right? What does spiritual excellence look like for me when I'm truly dedicating my life in my vocation, in my personal circumstances to you? And I do think there's obviously 
minimums given to the church or given by the church, right? Like hearing mass at least once a week. Mm. But then you can think like maybe it's daily mass on top of that, right? Um, And then I think something like a dress code could also uh, contribute to that for, for someone as well. But what do you, obviously you are a parish priest. What do you think about uh, dressing for mass on Sunday? Yeah, I, I love it. I think people should. and Dress um, nicely? Dress nicely, yeah. yeah sorry. Uh, How nice? Like that, That's suit, the question, and that's yeah. what I want to get to, because it's like, <clears throat> I'm from Colorado. You're from the East Coast. The yeah. East Coast tends to be a little bit more formal, right? Sure. Colorado is so casual. I grew up uh, playing different sports, and I'd wear like my baseball uniform to mass. And just thinking yeah. back, I'm just like, that is crazy. Why did I do that? And yeah, I say this lightly, but it was kind of the, the culture of the parish. Uh, that I was not the only one who did that, right? Mm-hmm. And in one aspect, it's like, well, praise God that they're at Mass, you know, that we went, et cetera. But there's something about looking, like your Sunday best, right? That that song by uh, Surfaces, you know, you got you got to wear your Sunday best. Uh, there's something truly about that that I think is really important. Um, but I do want to caveat, sorry, I like to make a lot of distinctions. I study philosophy, I study yeah, theology, no, a, a lot of distinctions. Um, Colorado is casuals. So like, I don't think people need to be wearing a suit and tie um, because you don't want to do go the opposite direction where uh, you, you stick out. If that's your culture and everyone's wearing a suit and tie, wear a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. But if it's your culture where most people wear jeans and a Broncos uh, shirt to or a football shirt to mass, the Broncos are terrible. You know they are. Um, I don't think people are wearing Broncos jerseys anymore, but uh, maybe Bills jerseys. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, right, you want to uh, if that's the culture, maybe do a step uh, beyond that. Wear slacks and a nice collared shirt. Mm-hmm tuck in your shirt, you know, something like that, make it look nice. Um, so I think you should do one step above maybe what the kind of culture is like. Yeah. Um, but if you look good, you feel good when you feel good, you pray good, you know, that's right. When you pray good, you're excellent. You know, all those different things. So, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, those are, those are what I would say, but what do you have any hard lines? Like are any thoughts on like shorts or jeans to, so I, I think um, one of the hardest things that as a priest, we we get a lot of negative, well, I shouldn't say a lot of negative feedback. We get some negative feedback. And one of the negative feedbacks that so I've gotten- I don't think I've ever heard it talked about at Lourdes. Um, very rarely. But like one time a family um, came in and, and um, I wasn't there. I got the phone call or email afterwards or someone told me, I can't remember. And they were so put off when um, they, they had never been to Lourdes before. Mm-hmm. they had probably been to other parishes. Maybe they, I, I don't know where they were from. I, I don't know the full story, but uh, they show up in uh, shorts and um, right. T-shirts. And they just didn't look like, you know, your, your regular kind of Sunday best. And they called and they said, we felt very judged by people. We come and uh, people were glare, glaring at them and glancing at them, staring at them, etc. And uh, I think that's kind of twofold. One, I think it's partly on them of like, yeah, maybe I should just get over myself and be like, oh, there's a different excellence here that I need to strive for. Uh, right. However, um, you don't want to be to the point where you're unable to have dialogue with people. Uh, you don't want to be like wearing a suit and tie and you look so, so, so utterly different from the world that you can't have any dialogue with the world. You need to have dialogue with the world. And if someone comes in off uh, in, into mass that you've never met before, Maybe they're homeless. They smell bad. They don't have nice clothes. Do you talk to them or do you just treat them like an outcast? Mm-hmm. And it always breaks my heart when I hear, I heard a story once of a, 
of a man who walked into church who hadn't been to church in 20 years and uh, people looked at him and the usher came up. This is, I don't know where this is from. This is kind of a, a tale. So uh, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But the usher looked at this man and said, sir, I don't think you belong here because he was all tatted up. He had pierced ears, uh, but he, he'd walked into a church after 20 years and that crushed him so much that he didn't come back for another 20 years. Mm. And do we greet people uh, because they look different, you know, or whatever yeah. it is. So Sunday best is important, but I think we want to do it in a way that has healthy dialogue with other people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really important. The, the other thing that I think is critical is I, I dress and have to worry about what I wear, not necessarily what, you know, some guy I've never seen before <laughs> wears the mask, right? right? Absolutely. And uh, I think that's really important. Obviously, I can also be responsible as a husband and father for everybody that leaves my house in the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, it's not really on me to, to take care of that. Um, and I, I think, you know, one thing that's interesting, when I brought this up, so I, I talked about it a lot on social media, and I did talk about it on a podcast once, um, because I loved it from the book uh, Church of Cowards by Matt Walsh, okay. which is one of my favorites. Uh, and he talks about being convicted of it himself, which is interesting because I, I felt the same way, right? Like it was, I think in his book, it really moved me. And then there's been different masses and stuff where I've gone to. Uh, I'll never forget one of my favorite priests, Father Brian Nolan, uh, who's the chaplain at Mount St. Mary's when I was going to school there. Mm-hmm. And I was a lector there as well. Awesome. And I was leaving, it was like a Friday, it was daily mass. And I wore shorts to mass and I went up to read and on the way out, I'm seeing Father Brian and we're, we're close at this point, you know, uh, and he's like, Hey, Nathan, he's like, great lectors wear pants. Mm. <laughs> That's all he said. I love a, that. With a big smile on his face. And he was like, yeah. great. Like, and I'm like, well, I want to be a great lector, you know? And like, I feel like he, in a way he knew how to speak to me, but he also, uh, just kind of did it lightly, but was like, yeah, you should wear pants. You mm. know, I don't know that he would have like canceled me as a lector if I didn't start to. I don't know what his like response would have been. Yeah. But we also had the relationship, and I think he knew that I respected him and for who he was enough that uh, that little nudge was enough. But I think one thing that I sh- really struggle with with people on social media or like talking about Matt Walsh in the book, where I respect about him sharing his experience. So he was on vacation, and he was like, I was on vacation, and I was in like flip flops and shorts and whatever, you know, at the beach, and the priest talked about it. And I think people respond to that, even even like, um, let's say, this, this family, and I don't know what happened to them, but there, there's definitely not a, there's a non-zero amount of occurrences where somebody just looks at you and you feel out of place and you assume that you're being judged just mm-hmm. because you made a bad decision, yeah. right? And you're wearing a tank top on a Sunday and people are looking at you kind of funny and you're like, people are so judgmental. And it's like... Yeah. Well, you look like a clown. You right. know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like it doesn't yep. necessarily mean, and they might have just glanced at you, and you don't know. True. And I've talked about this before too. Like when I, in my younger days, when let's say an old an old white person at the parish would give me a side eye, I'm like, I I assume they were racist back mm-hmm. when I like was looking for racism everywhere. And it's like, well, that might not be the case, right? They might just be grumpy. They might yeah. just be mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> like might, yeah. That doesn't mean that they're racist. They might yeah. still be, you that's know, right. yeah. rude for a different reason. But I think that's important, too, for people to understand that, like, so many people got, like, so upset. Oh, and and I think the, the thing that makes me the most uh, sick or cringy to me is when people get into this, um, t- lean too heavily into something you mentioned, too, which is uh, at least they're going, at least they went, right? Mm. Because that has its place. There's no doubt about sure. it. Sure, yeah. But people can get stuck in that. Right. Uh, of a, Well, at least I go. Right. And it's like... That's to me is like your excellent. first month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know right. what I mean? Totally. But like if you're eight years into going and you're a dad and you have kids that are looking up to you and you just haphazardly go to mass on Sunday and like half pay attention and that's it, you're checking the box. 
I don't think that at least you go is good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, totally. I guess it might be better than not going, but it might not be. I, my family didn't go to mass and I was hungry for something else. Mm. I seen a lot of people that I went to school with and grew up with, went to college with that their family went every Sunday and that was it. And they were, they're more turned off because they feel like they've experienced it. Yep. Right. And it's like, is it, is that good? Like, right. is and then now they're not practicing at right? all. And right. you can't even talk to them about it because like, oh, I went to Catholic school. All oh, my family, I was raised Catholic, right? Going two or three times a month. Mm-hmm. And they have no idea. They don't know anything. Right. But it's almost worse than when you talk to somebody who I've had plenty of friends and family members who have gone through RCIA that grew up and they didn't know anything. Right. They're like, what is mass? What is the rosary? What is? And they're just mm-hmm. curious and hungry. And they don't come with this, uh, you know, all these uh, assumptions. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I think uh, we have to create cultures of excellence. And when you go to mass and you see people wearing the right things and wearing pants and wearing, you know, the women who wear the beautiful dresses and everything, it's like, that's the way it should be. And then when you get someone who maybe hasn't been to church in a while, they come in and just, there should be an excellence where they say, wow, this church is different. People aren't wearing their Broncos jerseys. People aren't, Mm -hmm. I don't know, dressed in flip-flops and and shorts, you know, Matt Walsh. Uh, But, but but, yeah, so yeah, praise God he went to mass, you know, like, you're on vacation. I, I, I get it. You know, uh, we've all done that. We've all been there. But when we have cultures of excellence and when we build them, uh, there won't be this kind of apathy about the faith. It'll be like, no, I want to be better and better. I personally think in America, we we watch too many sports. We worship sports in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love football. I play fantasy football every year. I got fifth this year. I'm still frustrated about that. <laughs> uh, I should have won that semi or the quarterfinal game, but that's a, that's a different conversation. Rough. Um, you know, but, uh, we worship sports and one of the hard things about being a priest is like, I very rarely watch Sunday football anymore. Uh, yeah. also as a companion, we don't have TVs in our rectory. So if I am going to watch, I either got to go to a bar, which isn't always the best place or a family or a friend's house. Yeah. Um, hey, you're welcome here any Sunday. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it, it depends on the mass schedule, obviously, and and so that's right. Where, yeah, absolutely. But when people come to mass and they're checking their phones, like, oh, did the Broncos score? Or or is my how's my fantasy team going? And then as soon as mass gets out, or God forbid, in the middle of mass, they're checking the scores and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's super problematic, you know. So I think when we have a culture of excellence, where nope, Sunday is dedicated to God first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then I fit those other things in. Uh, God, family, and then maybe recreation. But obviously, leisure is a huge part of Sunday, and that's going to look different for different people. I get it, but uh, turn off your TV, you know, turn off your uh, all those different things, and be with friends, be with family on Sunday. But God first, you know. Don't don't wear your Broncos jersey to mass. Yeah, so. no, that's not that's not a winner. I like though that you gave kind of the the room for discernment, you know, mm-hmm. and cultural movements and cultural differences in that. Because I think that's so important. I shared at the very beginning of this series, and this is something that came to me in prayer uh, before I, I gave a presentation at a conference in San Antonio on Seeking Excellence. I did like four hours in one day. It was awesome. But I was like, hey, today I'm going to share three different things, uh, church teaching, facts, and opinions. Hmm. Right? And I was like, in descending order, like in that order is how seriously you should take those. Right? And that's what I think people have to understand is that some of the stuff People, I think people are just so soft in, in the world in general, but especially like the mental weakness you have to have, in my opinion, to hear somebody say something, especially somebody who's, I mean, it's one thing if you're like a priest from the pulpit, that's obviously a little bit stronger, yeah. but even then, like something that can be opinion-based for them and to be like so rattled by it because you disagree or because you're convicted by it mm. and and not able to 
I, you know, I love, I, I also open with the Aristotle quote that the mark of an educated mind is to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. Mm. And I think that's so important to be able to take, okay, Nathan thinks I shouldn't wear jeans to mass on Sunday. Mm. I live in California where, you know, business casual is jeans and a nice, you know, in a sports jacket or something like that. Sure. You can make an exception. I'm not the, you know, dictator on this, right. but there is things like maybe not the tank top, your swim trunks and, you know, right. so you can just go straight to the pool afterwards. Like, right. You can find the balance and you know whether or not you're at least, I think the the philosophy, the mindset behind it is so important to say, okay, am I at least challenging myself, making it kind of going back to like fasting at the meal, right? Making some little sacrifice. I always say, I like to feel like on Sunday, I'm, at least, I'm making a little extra effort than the best thing I wore this week, barring that I went mm. to a wedding. I like that. Right? Like if I, like a, a tuxedos aside. I work from home is the way I always say it myself. Mm. I work from home. I was in sweatpants till 15 minutes before you got here today, right? Yeah. (laughs) And and a t-shirt. So it's like, it's not that hard for me to go one step above that. If Mm -hmm. I wore a suit and tie to work every week, I'd probably either do that or at least a suit or like a jacket and a shirt. You know what I mean? Yep. But it's like, you kind of feel where you're at and try to strive for something that you know is your best or close to it. Yeah. Right? Every Sunday. Yeah. No, that's that's good at last for personal discernment. I got a question for you. Oh, let's hear it. Yeah. So uh, someone asked me this, and I've been thinking a lot about it because I think it's a fascinating question. And it just came <laughs> to my mind. I'm just like, I got to ask this. Let's go. Seeking excellence. Do you think military service should be required for Americans? <laughs> what a switch. I'm definitely down to switch. Um, Did but you I want to switch? Sorry. Do you I have more questions? I just acknowledge that switch. No, I don't. So that's great. Um, do I think military service should be required for Americans? Um, one, I definitely don't think for all Americans, because I don't think that women should be required to serve in the military. Second, I don't know that I do think it should be required. I think we have, uh, seen a lot of issues in the past with the draft of just like desertion and Mm. you just have a more problematic soldier when you don't have a volunteer army. Um, I think what, one thing that could be really good, and I don't know what country it is that does this, but some type of civil service, Mm. I would be more open to being required. So you like do something with some type of actual like public good. Right. Um, but that can be tricky as well because I don't, I'm not a fan of big government and I don't think that there should be like created government jobs for these people, Mm -hmm. um, just to do it. Um, so I would probably vote no on it because I don't think that, um, I don't think for many people who don't want to go to the military that it ends up actually being a net positive for them or for the military. Yeah. Great. Thank you. you. I had enough problematic soldiers as a, as an officer with volunteer soldiers, you know, and we were in a place too. It was kind of crazy being in the 82nd airborne division. We always say like you volunteer kind of three times because you volunteer to be in the army, you volunteer to be infantry, and then you have to volunteer to be airborne. Mm. And so the people who get there, I mean, like you have to want it, right? You know, you can opt out of of all three of those things as it currently sits. Right. And so it's like when you still get people who just like choose to do drugs or do crazy stuff instead of like just, Mm-hmm. serving in the army yeah it's tough and so i i don't think i'd wish that uh on anyone sure. but i do think that that's fair more so, people could benefit from enlisting or joining serving sure. in the army yeah. somehow. But, but that's the question is then like does the benefit outweigh the cost so part of the background of this question is just like talking about uh seeking excellence and, and becoming the best especially spiritually um and this is a little bit more humanly honestly speaking to this right now but um one of the things that's really lacking in our generation and now the generation's younger is just discipline and uh virtue and right it's it's for for uh to be blunt here right it's a weak generation we have a weak generation Mm -hmm. um and so when you get up there 
as you're mentioning, the priest gets up there and says, like, we want you to wear Sunday best to mass. People freak out. People are just like, who is this priest telling me what I need to do and what I can't do? And da, 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 da. It's just like, no, man up and do what's excellent. Yeah. Um, and, and another side to this too is, uh, no one has patriotism anymore. Maybe I shouldn't say no one. Uh, I speak in absolutes, so forgive me. Hey, two people in this um, room. Dude. So I have patriotism or yeah. speak in absolutes. Uh, both probably. Both. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so patriotism. no one, no one has patriotism, but in the sense that like, uh, so the, the perfect example of this, and it shouldn't even say perfect because, uh, there's there's problems with the draft, as you mentioned. Um, but one of the best examples of this is Israel. They have an incredible, incredible uh, patriotism and love for their country. And part yeah. of that was the persecution they experienced uh, for a long time, but especially in the 19th and 20th century. Mm-hmm. And then when nationalism was born, Zionism came out of that. Israel said, we want our land back. And they they fought for it. They got it back. And now mm-hmm. when you turn 18, you're required to enlist into the army. You're men and women there, right? Men and women, yeah. yeah. And But they have one of the highest rates of like patriotism, patriotic um, love for their country. And with all the division in America, yes, there's problems. Uh, I just wonder if we had a draft, if people would be two things. One, more willing to stand firm for their country and like get behind people and stay united. Like, okay, yeah, Democrats, Republicans, we have our differences, but let's try to find where we can be united to defend the best country in the world, the greatest country in the world. Right. Uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing is how do we have authentic discipline and virtue in a, in a weak generation? I think military service could be really, really good for that. And so when you're, when you're Nathan, when you're talking about like, yeah, when when people challenge me, when that priest challenged you and said like, "Hey, lectors wear pants," or whatever he phrased yeah. it, like you responded to that because I think you're a man of virtue who said, uh, "Okay, I can do better. I can be more excellent." But there's a lot of people who don't seek excellence. Uh, how do we get people to seek excellence? That is the hard question, <laughs> yeah. and I I struggle with my pessimism. I think around that as I was writing last night, I was kind of thinking about this. Is I don't know how to necessarily like develop that within people. Yeah. You know, like to me, I almost feel like it's like partially innate. I don't know that there was really like choices Mm. that I made that made me want to do it more. Like kind of like when I opened up my writing, I was just like, I'm a man who desires to be great. Mm. And I don't think you hear many people say that anymore. And especially within the church, I feel like it's so like frowned upon to want anything more, even though like we have this, it's such a weird place, you know, because you do have like this constant recognition, obviously of our sinfulness, of our fallen nature, of our need for God's grace. But there's still so many people who are just like so okay with being mediocre in so many ways in their lives. Right. And I don't know necessarily how to wake people up and have them desire that more because I don't, I've never understood um, why that's different in people. I always say, if, if I could ask God one question, my it's kind of an offshoot of this one, but it would be why people have such varying levels of intellectual capability, Mm. right? Because I think I've met people, especially people in my family and friends that I grew up with where I'm like, I don't know that they could intellectually understand the arguments for Catholicism. Mm. And then my other side of that would be also our, I don't know if ambition or drive, you know, would be the, the right word to ask God about that, why that varies so much because I've just had so many friends and people in my life that I've been so frustrated with. And I'm like, how do you not just like want to do and be more, Yeah, you know, like it's so inspiring to me. I like being tired. I like being busy. I like yeah. doing more than I'm actually capable of doing, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, just being a part of so many different things. And I don't get how people get so satisfied over time with um, just, you know, Netflix and the same thing every day and drinking with your friends every weekend. Like 
it just never made any sense to me. Yeah. Even though I, I, I dabbled it and like, I, and I, like I tried it. So many people were into it that mm-hmm. I actually went deep into that life. And it was yeah. like, this is awful. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this really sucks. And I don't get how more people don't want to. And so I appreciate it. I appreciate you and other priests in my life and friends that I have that are like, Hey, like, you could be better in this way. And I'm like, yes, you know what I mean? I can, I do need to be challenged. I need to be told that. And, and the things I heard most from seeking excellence listeners who I met at seek were how grateful they are for that. They're like, nobody, nobody's willing to like give you a kick in the ass when you need it. Right. You know, it's always going back to what I said before, you're valued, you're loved, you're special. And it's like, we've been told that for so long. I think some millennials and Gen Z, we're just tired. Of, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I was like, I remember the participation trophies and stuff like that. Totally. Like yeah. I don't want any of that. And right. I never, I've never been about it. Um, and I don't get how that's so deeply penetrated the church and our culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's complex. And I think it's sad. And I think, um, I, I would love to like rant about technology on, on a podcast one day, but it probably wouldn't, it probably would get bad reviews. Who knows? But I just feel like technology in general is just like, create this spiritual malaise or malu, whatever the right word is, malaise of um, not wanting to seek excellence, right? When I get home, mm-hmm. how do I numb myself? I get on my phone and play um, hearts or I don't know, D&D or whatever people play these days, um, right? But like we numb ourselves. We get home and yeah. instead of like picking up a book and reading, we turn on the TV. We're going to work out, yeah. Yeah, instead of going Rain. to work out, like yeah, we turn on, we, we pull up the Instagram and whatever and we just mindlessly scroll through. I went to the... Um, du hockey game last night uh which was super fun i love hockey i played hockey for 12 years it's so much fun every time i go to a hockey game i'm like oh this is like it's so painful to watch because i'm like i just want to be out there i just want to be on the <laughs> ice funny. with those with those people but anyways i was at the du hockey game and there's these people sitting in front of me i had no idea who they are uh but it was a um two men and one woman and i'm sure the the man and woman were dating or something uh the, the two men were watching the game. They were having a great time. But this girl was just like on her phone the whole time. And she was like it's the worst looking man. at Instagram and like TikTok and like look, watching videos. I'm just like, watch the game. Like it was like it kept catching my eye. I'm just like, oh, what's she watching? Oh, that's cool. And it's like it was so distracting. Isn't that wild to not be like satisfied enough? Yeah. With something so exciting. Right. Unfolding before but, you. But I feel it too. Like uh, whenever I go places, like I feel uh, weird not having my phone on me. Like I only feel comfortable in a sense if my phone's in my pocket. Like I've become addicted to having my right. phone on me, and I think that's where like technology has become such a crutch. Where uh, instead of feeling the the sufferings of life, we just medicate. We just um, we numb ourselves. Yeah. And I think part of spiritual excellence is to say, and excellence in general, but particularly spiritual excellence is to say, I need to stop numbing and begin to listen to my heart. You yeah. to listen to what, what's coming up uh, because God wants to speak to us. And oftentimes we can only hear him when it's quiet and we shut out the noise in our life. Yeah. Technology is definitely a good culprit. I think, you know, I, one of my things that I'm most interested in and that I talk about the most, write about the most is just like how the world has gotten to where it is, right? I think I'm really interested in the rise of feminism, socialism, progressivism as a whole, right? Mm. And uh, something that that just kind of reminded me of was another topic that came up a lot at Seek is um, working for Hallow. From the beginning, people have been like upset that it costs money, Mm. right? And I had one conversation with these kids where I finally was just like bold enough to say this because I usually try to be pretty PC when I'm, you know, representing the company. (laughs) But dude, I just got so tired of people coming up and being like, 
oh, I have the free version, but I don't pay for it. You know what I mean? But I love it. I think it's great. And I'm like, I'm okay if you think that the price is too high for the value that it offers. Sure. But I get really frustrated with people that get upset that it costs money. Right. And I just think, I think when they're paying for Netflix, everything and, else, uh, Amazon, and all those different things, because I want two day free shipping. Bro, talk to me. <laughs> I was like, I, I literally said to these two guys, because I, I kind of got conservative vibes from them. And I was like, yeah, I just really think that socialism, socialism has entered the church. And affects people to the point that they think they can have great quality stuff for free. For free. Yeah. And I was like, and you shouldn't be like that. And they were just kind of like, damn, you know what I mean? Like, I did not mm -hmm. expect you to say that. And I'm like, yes, why do so many people? I'm like, dude, if you're in college, you get a 50% discount on the $60 a year. That's, That's $30 a year. Yeah. $30 a year. Yeah. Think about that. I that's mean, that's nothing. Two fifty a month. Yeah, and I'm like, I don't. Two dollars like, and fifty cents a month. Legit. Yeah, it's so cheap. I can't even imagine. I was like, I don't even know what to tell you to skip on. That's like a a small black coffee at, yeah. at Starbucks. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Coffee. Starbucks is so expensive. Yeah. Now. That's not a not a latte. Not nothing right. fancy. Like just a small the the tall uh, black coffee at Starbucks right. is like two probably more than that. Yeah. You know, maybe a gas station coffee. A Seven Eleven medium coffee is probably what you'd have to give up once a month. And I'm like, dude, I like, and, and what I was telling Emily earlier when I was ranting about this, because I rant to her always before podcasts, um, before I write things or read things, is, uh, is, or say things, is I was just like, man, it also like is offensive to me as a man if I had to tell somebody, like, oh, I don't have 250 a month. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I am here to provide for my family. If I think that this is a spiritual benefit to me and to Emily, like, why would I not? Just like a gym yeah. membership or some of these things. Like, right. I ought to work enough to provide those things for my family. Now, there's other ways that we can do that. And I have to be disciplined in making sure that those are happening if I'm going to save the 250 a month, you know what I mean? Totally. Or, or five bucks a month for yeah. us to not use that. But what's crazy is people will pay for the things that they love. Yeah. So the person who said that, and uh, hopefully he listens to this and uh, is is inspired That's the dream. and changes, uh, right? But the person who said that, I guarantee you, he's he's paying for the things he loves. Uh, when I was in college and still to this day, like I spend a lot of money to get a ski pass every year, but it's one right. of the ways I grew up recreating. It's the, one of the ways I continue to recreate with my parents, with my with my dad particularly. Um, I love that. I love being able to ski, but it's not a cheap sport. Uh, it's yeah, not cheap at not. all. Uh, we pay for the things that we love. If we truly love God, uh, not that God costs money. We don't want to say that. You can't buy sacraments. That's simony, right? Uh, but we want to give to the church and we want to, the things that are, are excellent, we should be um, paying for it. We should be at least um, helping uh, recuperate or, or, or whatever the right word is there. Uh, so I think it's great. Like, uh, I think hallow should cost money because the people who make it have to also make money you know right have to make a living so yeah and i just think it's so dangerous and i think about how much that applies to the spiritual life to just expect things for nothing mm. right and obviously like i'm like the grace of god like that is the only thing in life That's that free. is truly free right. <laughs> you know but then still beyond that like your salvation in a certain sense is free but it also requires your response and your participation Correct, yeah. for the rest of your life you know, and so I'm like, th just the mindset though that like everything should be free, everything should be given to you. Like that's a dangerous spot to be in because then when I do have to grow spiritually or I have to lead my family, like that demands things of me. Right. And if I'm constantly in this mindset of like nothing good should be demanded, or like I shouldn't have to work or do anything for the good in life, mm -hmm. how do you how do you live? How do you go forward? You definitely can't seek excellence in your life. Right. You have to just no kind of be be down for whatever is given to you. Yeah, I think the the word that might help us here is entitlement, 
right? Yes, we just have exactly. an entitlement mentality. And this is something that's actually talked about in seminary a lot. When I was in seminary, it was something the formators and the staff were always talking to us about. And, and part of the reason why is because they said, like, your generation, the men that we're now forming in seminary, uh, feel and, and act like they're very entitled. And this is one of the great temptations for priests. If I'm honest, like, yeah, we get a very poor salary, but everything's paid for us, right? I have a place to live. I never have to buy a house or pay rent in my life ever, right? Great job mm-hmm. security. There's not very many priests right now, so I'll never lose a job, you know? That's true. Uh, I'll never be uh, fired, you know, per se. Like, cer- certainly priests have struggles where they have to maybe walk away from the parish for a little bit. Um, uh, all our room and board is paid for, our, our food is paid for by the parish, you know? So like we really are, in, are spoiled, but the question that becomes like, how do you respond to that? Is it through gratitude or is it through, I deserve this because I gave my life, right? Because I'm entitled because et cetera, because I'm not, I don't, I'm, I'm not married and I don't have kids. Therefore I deserve this. It's like, no, 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 no. Uh, that's not at all the case. And I think here in America, we don't have as much entitlement mentality as maybe some third world countries. However, there's still an entitlement in the priesthood that uh, I have to be, that we have to be aware of. Right. But entitlement has to end. Like this, like our generation can really struggle with that. Like, uh, yeah. Do, do, do you make your own lunch? You, those who are in high school, like, do you make your own lunch or do you, does your mom still make it for you? It's like, bro, you're 15 years old. Like, make your own lunch. <laughs> so. Yeah, entitlement is so big, man. I, I just recently heard somebody say, and I don't think this is like, hundred percent true, but I think it's a good, um, kind of flipping things on, on its head or, or another way to approach things is somebody was like, uh, and talking about capitalism, they were like, money's not the root of all evil. Feeling entitled to others possessions is the root of all evil, hmm. you know? And how often do we see that in today's world, right? This demonizing of wealthy people, this feeling like we're entitled to so many different things, whether it's abortion or birth control or like that they should be just given to people. Right. For you know? free. Not only, yeah, not like regardless of the the morality of the things, like right. just the fact that they cost money, you know, I, this is the one that I remember when I was kind of transitioning from um, more, you know, more liberal left-leaning to conservative. I just, I always struggled with this concept that, uh, like I, my doctor should just have to do medical things for me. I was mm-hmm. like, I get it. Like I understand that like we want poor people to have medical care, but I'm like, but how do you just force somebody? I'm yeah. like, who pays them? Like who pays these doctors? Who pays these surgeons? Who pays these medical bills? Yeah. You know? And I think that it's a good thing to strive for, to work for, but there's ways to do that right through charity and through donations and through the goodwill of other people, mm-hmm. rather than pointing a gun at somebody and being like, you pay for their doctor's visits, Yeah, you know? And that was one that just like was one of the, the early signs for me of like this socialism, big government stuff. Like it was really sh- something I struggled with, but you see that in so many ways that we just feel so entitled to, to all these different things instead of like what you talked about of responding in gratitude and responding and saying, Hey, I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed to have the opportunity to work my job. I'm blessed to have the opportunity mm. um, to have this house, right? And how can I be a good steward of the things I've been given, of the opportunities that I have, recognizing, like you said, being a priest um, or recognizing as an American uh, that I actually have it pretty good, totally. right? That life is really, really good, and it's really, really easy for me. I always, all uh, one of the things I think I can tell, I, I think this would be my one litmus test of whether I'm going to like a priest or not. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're going to like this. I saw you kind of perk up. You're like, this is going to be yeah, fun. This is good. I think my one litmus test, because I used to say my favorite priest and one of my, my best friends is Father Jonathan Meyer in uh, Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And um, this is one of my favorite things about him. I think my litmus test of whether or not I'm going to like a priest is whether or not they think 
the priesthood. I have to figure out how I'm going to word this so I can make it a test. Yeah. But whether not whether or not they think it's hard, but whether or not they're grateful for it, or if they feel like they're in a place of entitlement and kind of like put off mm. by the things they have to do. Yeah. Right. Like Father Meyer is one of the busiest priests I know. He coaches uh, cross country for the local public high school. He had before getting a second priest, he had. Uh, four parishes, I think that it was in his like very rural area, and now they have seven Jeez. different locations, wow. and I think three parishes because he combined a bunch of them. Um, but super, super busy dude, right? Uh, but just all, all goes on the same rant that you just did of like somebody does by cooking for me, somebody yep. you know what I mean? Like I'm constantly totally. doing all these things, yeah. And it's like that's kind of how I feel, and I try to encourage other people where it's like, yeah, life's hard. Yes, marriage is hard. It's challenging, but. I get to do life with my best friend every day. Right. I get to have this house that I live in, you know, like just more and more as I've gotten older, when people are like, how are you doing? I'm like, I ha I don't know what to complain about, yep. you know, and there's things I can find it, obviously, right? Totally. There's challenges, there's frustration. Yeah, life, is, life is hard. Life is challenging. And it doesn't but... mean you don't get frustrated and stuff, but right. still, like, are you more focused on the good of your vocation yep. or on the bad? Yeah, it's a whole uh, uh, paradigm shift in the way that we think and the way that we uh, act. And when we when we focus on that, like gratitude is the foundation for justice, is what we say in the the moral life. Uh, the four cardinal virtues. Gratitude is kind of the first one that flows out of justice. Yes, uh, to render what is due to to the other. And uh, our life would not exist if it wasn't for God, right? So the the just thing to do then is to say, God, I'm grateful. Like, thank you for creating me. Thank you for this life. Uh, one of the things that um, we can get in the habit of saying is like, I have to, I have to, I have to do this. I have to go do this. I have to go do this to the point where like, oh yeah, I have to go celebrate mass. I have to go pray my holy hour. No, no, no. I get to go do those things, right? right. Those are such gifts. And uh, it would be for you. It's like, oh yeah, I have to go grocery shopping with my best friend. It's like, no, no, no. I get to go. Like, this is going to be great. Yeah. Like I get to go to Costco with with Emily and I don't know we get to buy a bunch of baby food or whatever it is yeah. like or diapers who knows uh right but but we get to do these things like that that brings us excitement yeah it's a fundamental understanding of of the fall and the redemption of man right mm -hmm. understanding that like as Adam was leaving the garden of Eden like the Lord's like you have to work for what you have now yep. you know and I think that yes I have to go to the grocery store so that I can enjoy dinner with my wife later right understanding that's another thing that I think that kind of falls under entitlements is and our generation is really bad at this is understanding the concept and the idea of trade-offs mm. is that you can't have everything right you can't have all of your time you can't have this easy life you can't just sit at home all, you know all day and this is what you start to hear from people who want kind of like that universal basic income like mm -hmm. why can't i just sit in my house and do what i want all day and still make money it's yeah. like it's Trump just, bucks, you know? Yeah, exactly it's like dude it's just not how it works yeah. so when you can understand those trade-offs right and understand the good that comes with the bad, right? Or the bad that comes with the good that you want, then you right. can start to look at it all as one thing, right? It's all one process working towards the things that bring you joy. And you can change the way that you approach your work, your fitness, dieting, right? Making those sacrifices at dinner to not have butter on your roll, right? Because you recognize right. that this is contributing to me having more present in my life, the, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness that make for a full and passionate human experience. Yep. Now, Amen. yeah, so that was good. I appreciate you. I don't know how we got to that from uh, mandatory service, yeah. but, love uh, it. but one question I wanted to ask too. So this is something that is also a sign of priests that I love, not necessarily a requirement, but is often found in the priests that I really love mm. is the consistent wearing of the collar. Mm. Now I want to know, do you have one, do the companions have a rule on this? And then two, what is your kind of personal rule for yourself in your life? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. And maybe just explain, just clarify what I mean for that for people who maybe aren't Catholic or. Gotcha. Yeah. So like the clerics is what I'm wearing right now for those who can, those who are uh, looking on what YouTube. Yeah. Is that on what you the YouTubes. Yeah. On the YouTubes. Um, yeah. So the, the, right. The, and it's, it's specifically the priestly garment, right? That's how we recognize priests. Obviously not just Catholics wear this, like Anglicans will wear this. Um, yeah. I see some Methodist women priests. <laughs> priestesses wearing them uh but that's a right that's a different story um <laughs> that's another podcast <laughs> yeah another podcast and one time i was in uh this was i was like first or second year in seminary i think uh second year actually up in minnesota and i was with a buddy studying at a starbucks uh finals week you know just hammering it out and uh, we're studying there and this woman walks in with a bright pink clerics and a roman collar i'm just like holy cow as a woman priest in public. And like, I was staring and staring. Cause I was like, so like caught off. I'm just like, what is going on right now? And this was, I was in college seminary. This, I didn't wear, uh, you know, clerics at that point. And, uh, we made eye contact and I just felt so bad. Cause I'd like been staring for like five minutes <laughs> at her and she had to like notice, but, and then I was too afraid to go talk to her. And were you in a color at the time? No, I was. Oh, not. okay. So, gotcha. 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 So, but, but I was Hilarious. like, I was probably 19 or 20 and I was just, I don't know. It was, it was definitely a unique experience. Anyways, uh, diocesan priests don't have a rule on it. Yeah. Um, specifically diocesan priests and companions are all diocesan priests. So, um, I think it makes sense to wear them, right? It's kind of our, our habit, if you will, to compare it to a religious order. Uh, we should wear it. It's a sign. And we're meant to be a light in a world of darkness. And when people encounter it, people see it, they're going to uh, be, uh, those who know what a priest is, they're going to be like, oh, that's cool. Like He's a priest and he's wearing it in public. And uh, last night at the DU game, I mentioned that going to the DU hockey game. And there's this guy who just like, he was a, someone who works there and he's just like, Oh father, how are you? And like, we just struck up a nice conversation. So a lot of people know what it is, but yeah. we also live in a very, very secularized world now, especially here in Colorado where people don't even know what it is. And uh, my buddy, father John, he told me the story once if he went to a coffee shop called St. Mark's here in Denver, though it's not even like Christian. I don't know why it's called St. Mark's the coffee shop. Um, but they do have an icon of St. Mark in the coffee shop, really? but, <laughs> so but it's a very secular, secular area, secular place. That's wild. But he loves going there and he was wearing his collar, wearing his clerics and the barista just point blank asked him like, what are you wearing? And he goes, a collar? Like I'm a Catholic priest. And she looks at him dead serious and says, what's a Catholic priest? She had never heard of that before. And I don't remember what Father John said, something about like, um, you know, a Catholic priest, like offer sacrifice for Jesus and she, dead serious. She said, who is Jesus? She had never heard before. And she was probably in like her twenties or thirties, just shocking. Like she had never heard of Jesus Christ. Wow. And, and so the caller is like today, I think because it's so secular, like you just don't know your reactions. Dang. I personally have never had a negative experience in it. Yeah. Like where people yell at you or spit on you. I've never had that, but I do get stared at a lot. Uh, so my personal rule, uh, I was a really tall priest. I'm also tall. So I never know if people are staring at me. I'm six, five, uh, because I'm tall or if, because, wow, that's a funny <laughs> costume you're wearing. Right. Right. Um, my personal rule though, to answer your other question is, uh, I don't wear it all the time. Like there's times where uh, I go out and, you know, sometimes maybe to a concert and, and people disagree. That's fine. Uh, right. I know that, uh, people will disagree on that. Uh, but one of the questions I will always ask myself is, would I be going to this place if I were wearing my collar? Would I you know, go to this bar or this concert, whatever it is, would I feel comfortable wearing my collar to this? And 99% of the time, the answer is yes. Uh, 
but I think it needs to be yes in order to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So I went to the Luminaires concert this summer, uh, at Colorado, um, Rocky stadium, the, um, course field, uh, mm-hmm. which is great. I love the Lumineers. I've seen them in concert a couple of times now. Uh, but I didn't wear my collar to that. Would I have? Sure. Certainly. But I don't know. I just didn't want to wear my collar, but I don't think that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, I think it's important to wear. It's a sign, but I don't think it's wrong if, if a priest doesn't wear it I love from time it. to time. That's great. Well, thank you so much, man. It's been great uh, getting to talk with you a little bit here today. And I hope, I'm sure we'll have opportunity to record again sometime. But um, one thing we didn't mention is that you co-host a different podcast. That's right. You want to tell us about that? Sure. Catholic Stuff, you should know. Uh, Pretty well-known podcast. I just got on it, though. So, uh, right, it was started by the Companions a few years back. And there's been uh, some movement throughout the years. And then... Uh, Father John and Father Father John Nepple, Father Michael Rapp have started it 12 years ago now. Wow. 13 years ago now. So 2010 is when they started it. And uh, yeah, it's been kind of passed down. And they asked me and uh, Jacob Machado to be a part of it back in June. And it's been great. It's intimidating being on a podcast, I think, but I'm finally getting comfortable with it. <laughs> That's so. great. Yeah, it's been fun. I love it. Well, thank you for uh, for joining me for today's episode. It was great talking with you and hope that people will go, especially I think, yeah, you guys do great content on just explaining things that are difficult to understand in a very simple and understandable way um, and help people to especially dive into that second pillar or second sign of a dynamic Catholic, which is study mm. to understand more about the faith. So, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah. And I know you got to get to mass at our parish here. That's soon. right. That's so, right. Epiphany uh, Sunday. That's right. What a joy. Well, great. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. I hope today's episode was a blessing in your life. I know father Sean has a lot of great things to share. And so we'll definitely get him back on here someday. Um, but let this be your reminder to, uh, not wear shorts to mass and to not be judgmental of those who choose to. All right. Be sure to continue to fight hard uh, to be your best. And God bless you.